Mistra is the goddess of magic, and together with the Weave, she facilitates spellcasting down on Faerun. This powerful goddess and her faith espouse the beauty and wonder of the arcane as they look to share it with as many people as possible. I'm Ben Dignan, and welcome once again to Religion in the Realms. It is important to note that I will be talking about the three different identities of the goddess of magic in the Forgotten Realms. The first will be Mistral, the goddess said to be born out of the conflict between Selune and Shar at the beginning of creation. The second is Mistra, who was raised up immediately by a dying Mistral to replace her at the fall of the Nethril Empire. I will refer to her as the first Mistra. Finally, the third identity is Mistra again though we know her human name to be Midnight before becoming the former Mistra's replacement at the tail end of the Time of Troubles. I will refer to her as the second Mistra. Titles The first and second Mistra's given titles include The Lady of Mysteries, The Mother of All Magic, and Our Lady of Spells. Mistra's given titles were the same as both Mistra's, but included as well The Muse and The Hidden One. The second Mistra may go by a couple aliases. The first is Midnight, the name she held when she was a mortal human wizard. She may go by Mistral, hearkening back to the goddess who first created and maintained the weave. Regionally, she is known as the Hidden One in Rashomon, where they hold Mistra in veneration with two other goddesses, Shantia and Myliki. Portfolio and Domains Mistra currently at least as it was last written in 3rd edition, holds the portfolios of Magic, Spells, and the Weave. Mistral held far more portfolios during the time of the Netheril Empire. They included Mistral's current portfolios, but also Wizards, Spellcasters, Energy, Creativity, Knowledge, Invention, Song, Time, and Spring. Mistral's suggested domains for 5th edition are Arcana and Knowledge. Appearance and Manifestations Mistral looked like a human woman with prismatic hair, radiant skin, and eyes alight with blue fire. She wore blue-white robes of the finest and heaviest silk. The first Mistral was reported to never maintain a given form for long, instead being in a constant state of shape-changing. The second Mistral is described as an attractive human woman with long, flowing black hair and radiant skin. When it comes to actual weaponry, the second Mistra wields seven whirling stars. These magical weapons function mechanically like shurikens or throwing stars from 3rd edition. These shurikens have a magical plus 5 bonus to hit and hold the keen, returning, and shock and spell storing properties. When it comes to their avatars, Mistral and the first Mistra were fond of manifesting as a prismatic will-o'-wisp on Faerun that shaped itself to look vaguely like a humanoid. The second Mistra, however, is more partial to adopting the form reminiscent of her prior human form. In this guise, the avatar wears simple, dark-colored robes made of the finest silk. She wears a clasp upon her bodice. This clasp is designed to look like a spider's web. This is a signifier of both the weave itself and the position Mistra holds over it. 
When avatars could still roam the surface of Faerun, Mistra's avatar would repair wild magic and dead magic areas. Mistral made use, and the second Mistra may make use of the following two manifestations. The first is a blue-white pulsing light that appears on items, creatures, or in places that they want to give attention to. The second is a disembodied graceful human hand bordered by blue-white modes of light that may point, gesture, write, or inscribe on stone, and or cast a spell. This manifestation has been seen inscribing the stone tombs and graves of powerful dead spellcasters. Now I think it's safe to assume that the first Mistra would use both of these manifestations as well, just that it's never been documented in any proper source book. Mistra and her faith may make use of the following creatures associated with her. Agathanons in natural and magical object form, Devas, Meruts, Light Asimons, Anhyriar of former prominent wizards and spellcasters, Hope, Faith, and Courage Incarnates, Radiant Mephits, All Gardenals, Holyfonts, Gem and Metallic Dragons, including Steel and Mercury Dragons, Pseudo Dragons, Selkies, Blue Jays, Sparrowhawks, White Cats, Dogs, Donkeys, Horses, Pegasi, Unicorns, and Mules, all with blue or mismatched eyes, and other small creatures made of translucent magic. Mistra may also show her favor or disfavor with the appearance of the following inanimate objects. Blue and clear gemstones of all varieties, rainbow tourmalines, amarathas, rogue stones, and belgerals. Abilities Before we get into the specific mechanical abilities the second Mistra has access to, I think it is important to touch on the weave and Mistra's deep connection with it. Mistra is said to be one with the weave. The weave is a metaphysical overlay and barrier over at least Faerun, if not the whole planet of Toril itself, that allows each spellcaster to manipulate and access raw magic safely. Without it, spellcasters would be subject to unstable surges or restricted bouts of the energy that allows for spellcasting. The weave exists and flows through the vast majority of everything animate or inanimate. There are pockets of wild magic and dead magic and shadow weave created by Shar if the shadowy still exists in any capacity, but they are rare in occurrence. Mistra can deny access to the weave for any creature, both mortal, immortal, and or divine. As a reminder, the mechanical abilities I touch on both for the second Mistra and her avatars are taken from second edition and third edition sources, so they may need to be tweaked to bring them into line for the current fifth edition game. Both statistically and lore-wise, Mistra is one of, if not the strongest deity in the Faerunian pantheon. The only being to outrank her is the overgod Eo. Should she choose, Mistra can deny any new spells or magic items that go against her personal leanings. However, she barely ever intervenes in such matters, unless said creations prove to be a threat to the weave or magic itself. The first Mistra created stricter guidelines in the realms to limit spells only up to that of 9th level. This was done after Mistral had to sacrifice herself to maintain the weave after Karsus cast his 12th level spell. We will talk about that event soon. Mistral can cast any spell of any level from any school of magic. Since Mistra is a greater deity, she always rolls the highest result on any dice rolls in every facet of the game. 
Mistra's divine senses reach out to a distance of 18 miles, which is approximately 29 kilometers, allowing her to sense anything within that range. This range also allows her to sense out from any of her worshippers, holy sites, objects, and or locations associated with her, or anywhere her name or one of her titles was spoken in the last hour. What's more, she can split this divine sense equally to sense out from 20 different places at once. Without fail, she can block the divine senses of any deities who shares a similar divine rank to her, or lower. Mistra holds a portfolio sense that allows her to sense any spell, spell-like ability, or magic item that draws on the weave 1810 days or 180 days before it happens, while it is happening, or she retains the memory of such things up to 1810 days later. She immediately learns of the creation of any new spell or magic item. Mistra can create any magic item. Mistra helps to protect high-level arcane spellcasters by cursing anyone who attempts to use a spellcaster's unique sigil or rune. Mechanically, at least in older editions of the game, a high-level spellcaster is anyone who is of 10th level or higher. Anyone trying to imitate this rune potentially may come under the threefold curse of Mistra if specific saves are not made. The individual may potentially lose two points of strength permanently, two points of intelligence permanently, falling under the effects of a feeble mind spell, and or two points of wisdom permanently while losing all bonuses stemming from a high ability score for a month. Since Mistral held a portfolio of time along with magic, she governed the use of time travel. Any time travel did not go unnoticed by her, and she easily could deny such travel to anyone. She developed the Time Conduit spell specifically so that time travel occurred under those parameters she put in place. Even after she perished, the first Mistral still maintained the strict guidelines over time travel that Mistral had in place. I would also assume the second Mistra does so as well, but both Mistra's focus was and now is solely on magic and the weave, no longer time. It is spelled out that this spell canonically will not let anyone change the past. Should they enact changes through the spell in the past, they then travel back to the present day, only to find when they return to the present timeline that it is unaltered. Though it is called out that ultimately the decision to make the past alterable through the spell falls on the Dungeon Master. Mistress Avatar can cast any spell of any level from any school of magic. The Avatar can have up to two offensive and two defensive spells employed in a given round. No spell can affect Mistress Avatar unless she allows it. The range, duration, damage, and or area of effect of any spell cast by the Avatar is tripled. Likewise, saves against any of Mistress Avatar's spells are made with a negative 3 penalty. The Avatar can manipulate the shapes of a given spell's area of effect with ease, for example turning a sphere area of effect into that of a cube. Should the Avatar ever run out of spell slots, she can easily just access the weave and cast one offensive and one defensive spell per round indefinitely. Personal History in the early days of creation, Shar and Salune would come into conflict over providing warmth and light for Shantia upon the world of Toril. The two goddesses would fight out amongst realm space in a conflict known as the War of Light and Darkness. Salune tore a piece of her divine essence away from her and threw it at her sister Shar. Her aim was true and some of Shar's divine essence was torn away 
Both essences of light and dark combined and formed Mistral, who would go on to form the Weave. Despite a shared bond with both Salune and Shar, Mistral would become allied with Salune. Salune was dearly wounded from this exchange with her sister, and as a result, her power was greatly diminished. But with Mistral now on her side, Shar was forced to make an uneasy truce and retreated into the darkness to recover. After the battle between Shar and Salune, Mistral would construct the weave, allowing creatures down upon the surface of Faerun ready access to magic. Despite Mistral being long gone, Salune still seems to have some influence on the weave. The weave seems to ebb and flow based upon the phases of the moon. Areas of concentrated magic will appear on nights with full moons. Looking up from the ground, the moon will take on a blue hue in such areas. Now, just thinking out loud as myself here, it stands to reason that if Salune has some influence on the weave and a connection with it, it is very possible that Shar does as well. Mistral was born out of both of their divine essences, after all. This may be why Shar was able to create the Shadow Weave and succeed in challenging the weave far better than any other deity to my knowledge. Mistral would instruct the first spellcasters on Faerun while teaching some of the races of the continent how to wield magic. Thus her power and influence grew, allowing her to become one of, if not the strongest deity. Long, long after, in negative 339 Dale Reckoning, a Netherese archwizard named Karsus developed a 12th level spell called Karsus's Avatar. This was the first and only 12th level spell to be cast in Faerun. The spell would allow Karsus the ability to steal away a deity's power temporarily. Being as overly ambitious as he was, Karsus decided to steal Mistral's power, not recognizing the terrible consequences that would arise. The weave faltered as Karsus was unable to control it in Mistral's stead. Thus wild raw magic began to surge throughout Faerun. Mistral would sacrifice herself in a final act to return the weave to its former balance. In order to do so, though, Mistral had to cause all magic on Faerun to cease function for a few minutes. This is what caused those floating nethery cities unable to escape in time to come crashing down to the surface. By negating all magic temporarily, Karsus's link to Mistral was broken, killing Karsus instantly as his bloated corpse was petrified and plummeted down to the surface. Feeling the weave begin to sunder as she fell, Mistral was able to reach out and reincarnate herself into a young human woman who was just learning cantrip level magic at the time. Quickly, this new goddess, now known as Mistra, repaired the weave and rescued the three last remaining floating nethery cities who had yet to hit the ground. Following this event, the first Mistra denied the use of any magic spells above 9th level in Faerun. Though there are still ways to access 10th level magic, but we will get to that. Mr. found all the notes and records of Karsus's spell and cast them all out on an unending journey through the cosmos. Either during, before, or after the Age of the Dawn Cataclysm, roughly from negative 339 Dale Reckoning to 760 Dale Reckoning, Two immensely powerful wizards would battle for several years to win the favor of the first Mistra. These two were Savras, who was then a lesser deity, and Azuth, who was still a mortal spellcaster. I have more to say about the competition between these two in their respective episodes. For now, though, it is enough to say that Azuth won over Savras. 
We will talk about the title Magister later on and its importance to both Mistress and Azuth's faith. Azuth would imprison Savras inside an artifact known as the Scepter of Savras for a long time after his victory. During her time as Goddess of Magic, the first Mistra would begin choosing select individuals to become her chosen. Some of these are some of the more well-known personalities in the Forgotten Realms, like Kelbin, Blackstaff Aronson, Elminster Almar, and Samaster, the founder of the Cult of Dragon, who formerly was a chosen of Mistra. Specifically, there are a group of all-female chosen known as the Seven Sisters who are deeply tied to Mistra. There's far more to say about them, and we will get around to talking about them later on. Before she became the second Mistra, Midnight was a human wizard born as Ariel Manx. She was later given the name Midnight from her social circle of bards, thieves, and spellcasters. After a fling with a sorcerer who introduced the arcane to her, Midnight was enamored and deeply curious about spellcasting. She would then become a worshipper of Mistra, serving as an acolyte for some time before realizing that that life wasn't for her. Midnight would refine her skills as a wizard, and she always felt as if there was a presence around her from time to time, especially when she labored over spells that were proving too difficult for her to learn. Midnight was convinced that this was Mistra, and Midnight felt as if the goddess of magic may think her to be a fine suitor for the title of Magister. Midnight did become restless as she studied at a Mistran temple in Deepingdale. She had the feeling as if something was awaiting her. Then the time of troubles occurred, and Midnight joined an adventuring party composed of the cleric Adon and the then-mortal thief Siric and fighter Kelmvor. During the time of troubles... All the deities of the Faerunian pantheon, save Helm, fell down to the surface of Faerun in their avatar forms. The first Mistra would come to be imprisoned by Bane at Castle Kilgrave until she escaped thanks to the help of Midnight and her companions. Mistra there and then almost killed Bane. Mistra would make her way to the Celestial Staircase. Mistra strode up the staircase with the intent to get past Helm who guarded the way and back to her divine realm in the Outer Plains. Eo had put Helm in place specifically to unerringly and dutifully follow the Overgod's commands to not let any one deity make their way back to their Outer Plane realms. Perhaps knowing that she might not survive an encounter with Helm, still in his deific form, the first Mistra gave a portion of her power to Azuth and her Chosen. The first Mistra died at the hands of Helm, a massive explosion was caused by Mistra's death, destroying the surrounding area, save those protected in a wall of force spell cast by Midnight. Much as had happened during Mistra's death, magic went awry in Faerun for some time after the first Mistra's death. Her energy mixed with the world, causing wild magic areas to produce in some places and dead magic zones to occur in others. Even years after the second Mistra ascended, not all these areas across the continent had been repaired. The first Mistra released the remainder of her power throughout the weave. She also found the mortal human wizard Midnight, and the first Mistra presented her with a holy symbol known as the Pendant of Mysteries. Some essence of the deceased Mistra was combined with this holy symbol that Midnight wore. As Midnight traveled, this pendant began to merge with her skin, imbuing her with this essence. Bane would be eventually resurrected by Mercule since Bane was not ultimately destroyed. Bane started rallying Zental Keep to attack Shadowdale. 
Their Midnight's adventuring group aided Elminster in the defense of the city. Bane and Elminster did battle, as Elminster summoned a ghostly form of the First Mistra to aid him. Together they nearly destroyed Bane, but some of his essence remained behind. Elminster would be tossed into a rift and presumed dead for a little bit of time. Bane defeated once more, Midnight's adventuring group pressed on, but not too soon after escaping that they were wrongly charged with the supposed murder of Elminster. Siric helped in falsifying this charge against his former companions as he now switched sides. Learning of the position of one of the Tablets of Fate in Tantris, the group made their way there. Their adventuring group would recover the first ta- Tablet of Fate as Bane was finally destroyed, though not entirely, by Torm. The adventuring group of now just Adon, Midnight, and Kelmvor learned that the second Tablet of Fate was next to be found at Dragonspear Castle in the Highmoor. As a brief aside, Kelmvor and Midnight would become romantically involved during their various quests throughout the Times Troubles. Separately, Baal and Siric would both chase down this group, ending in their fateful encounter at Boraskir Bridge. Baal did manage to snag Midnight for some time, though Midnight's group were able to escape, while Siric and Baal did battle. Midnight and her companions arrived at Dragonspear Castle only to learn that Mercule had prepared for their arrival. Plus, the second Tablet of Fate was not on the Prime Material, but hidden away in Mercule's then realm of the Bone Castle on Hades. Of course, Mercule could not return to the Outer Plains, so he tricked Midnight into retrieving the tablet from there. Mercule would then abscond to Waterdeep with tablet in hand. Pursuing the tablet, the group would encounter Mercule once more, as the God of the Dead was wreaking havoc upon the city of Waterdeep. With the assistance of Elminster once more, Another important battle took place atop Blackstaff Tower. With help from a previously unknown essence of the former Mistra, Midnight would destroy, though not entirely, Mercule with a disintegration spell. Since Mistra's essence worked through Midnight's spellcasting and the pendant she wore, she was able to quote-unquote destroy Mercule since she held a modicum of divine power. Though Siric seized the opportunity to kill Kelmvor, wound Adon, and steal the Tablets of Fate for himself, running off to the top of Mount Waterdeep. With the Tablets in hand, Eo granted Siric divinity, though not too soon after, Mistra and Adon arrived pursuing their former companion. There, Eo offered Midnight the mantle of Goddess of Magic. Midnight at first refused, but Adon convinced her, stating the need for her to provide resistance against Siric who is now a god himself. The second Mistra still holds the personality of Midnight centrally, but she has also absorbed the past memories of the first Mistra. In 1368 Dale Reckoning, Mistra brought Siric to Kynalshire, the courtroom of the Faerunian Pantheon, to answer for the disappearance of Lyra. Of course, Siric would reveal that he had slain Lyra and subsumed her portfolio of illusions with the assistance of Mask. Though he hadn't really, though that is a tale for another time. The gathered deities at Kynalshire could not easily protest against Siric's actions since he was acting well within his given portfolios at the time. Though in response, Mistra forbids Siric's access to the weave, disallowing him from casting spells, though he still retained his godly abilities. Mistra and Siric would later do battle as Siric attempted to free Kezef, the Chaos Hound, in Pandemonium. 
Sirik was freeing Kazev to sniff out what he thought to be the missing soul of Kelimvor. Mistral would be wounded significantly and forced to retreat, though these wounds were not enough to really threaten her life. Mistral would later be brought to trial on Kynosher herself. This was because she was hindering Sirik from performing his duties to further his given portfolios. This was, a, this was without any consideration for the balance that all deities present across the alignment spectrum are meant to maintain. Thus, Mistra was operating well outside her bounds as goddess of magic. Mistra relented and returned Sirik's access to the weave. All during this time, Mistra was aware of Sirik's plans with the Serenishad, his brainwashing magical tome that would force even gods into obeying and following Sirik after reading it or hearing it read aloud. In order to counter that plan, Mr. allied herself with Mask and Ogma. Tempting her with knowledge of Kelimvor's soul, Mask was able to convince the goddess of magic to aid in the uprising of the City of the Dead. Mask wished to steal away the portfolio of deception from Sirik. Sirik, meanwhile, obtained knowledge of a forbidden spell from Ogma's library without hindrance, after all, every deity is allowed access to Ogma's resources freely. Mistra went out to the various gods and convinced them not to intervene in the uprising of the City of the Dead, as it was in her portfolio to stop Sirik from casting forbidden magic. With the uprising successful and Sirik unseated as Lord of the Dead, Kelimvor was freed from Sirik's broken sword and took up that mantle. At that time, Mr. and Kelimvor would be reunited, and the two of them would restart the romantic relationship, though only for a short time. A couple of years past those events, now in 1371 Dale Reckoning, Sirik was called to Kynosher once more to defend his inability to maintain his portfolios thanks to Mask's machinations. While Sirik had been failing in his responsibilities, he was able to convince the Council of Other Deities that if he was to be on trial, so too should be Mistra and Kalimvor. Rather than be impartial, Kalimvor and Mistra had been favoring the good peoples of Faerun for the past couple years. Thus, they too were charged with the inability to, in maintaining their portfolios and roles in the Pantheon. Meanwhile, the Serenishad plot was still at hand down on Faerun. Mistra would try to influence and interfere with the trial a couple times, resulting in her imprisonment by Helm and Tyr. Mistra and Kelimvor both ended their romantic relationship at this time as well. Kelimvor saw the error of his ways and adopted a new persona as a neutral lord of death, wearing no emotion. Mistra could not accept Kelimvor's new persona and perspective. Through one of his servants, Mask freed Mistra from Helm's imprisonment. Sirik, Mistra, and Kelimvor would later come to trial. Mr. now had a new perspective on remaining impartial and deciding who had access to her weave. The charges would be dropped against Mr. and Kalimvor. Both were able to convince the assembled deities that they now knew their place and responsibility in maintaining the balance and operating within only their portfolios. In 1385 Dale Reckoning, aided by Shar, Sirk would make his way into Mr.'s realm of Dwelmerhart and murder her. With the weave sundered, magic became unruly and wild. The spell plague was set off across Faerun and it spilled out into the outer plains. Several spellcasters were driven mad or were outright destroyed. Multiple places were destroyed across the continent as magic ran amok. 
All Forgotten Realms deities in the Outer Plains also suffered as almost all their realms were destroyed. Thankfully, the greater deities were able to preserve their realms now out in the Astral Sea as lesser deities made their way to the saved realms and refuge. For roughly a century, the Weave was no longer present throughout Faerun, though Elminster was able to return Mistra to some divine standing by providing her with silver fire he had absorbed. Recently, two of Mistra's chosen, the symbol, Simrustar Aglomer, had perished, and in finding their corpses, Elminster brought in the silver fire that had been gifted to them from the goddess of magic. Mistra would remain in hiding while the shades of Tulanthar and Shar once more tried to claim the Weave for themselves. Elminster and other chosen of Mistra were able to defeat the shades as their floating city came crashing down upon Mithdranor. As Shar tried to capture an exhausted Elminster, Mistra finally unveiled herself from hiding to openly proclaim her control as goddess of magic once more. In the present days of Faerun, I think it is safe to assume that Mistra now operates in the same capacity that she did as the goddess of magic and as the or one of the most powerful deities in the Faerunian pantheon. Personality As long as Mistral and the different identities of Mistral have been present in the Forgotten Realms, they have always been listed as greater deities. Though I don't know what divine rank the second Mistral might have held during the Spell Plague, severely diminished and hidden as she was, Perhaps a title like a quasi-deity or vestige might qualify. Mistral was a chaotic neutral goddess. She was said to have an exuberant and creative spirit, aiding not just spellcasters but artists and inventors of all types. She was a flirtatious, energetic, and mercurial goddess. She could be gullible at times, but hit back doubly so when reacting against those who had offended her. Usually she aimed to do what was right in most situations. The first Mistra was a lawful neutral goddess who concerned herself with upholding the laws around magic after the fall of Mistral. She kept herself out of moral debates about the use of magic, espousing a balanced approach. Magic itself being a neutral force, uncaring of who or what makes use of it. The second Mistra is a neutral good goddess. As mentioned before, she initially took issue with evil beings accessing the weave, and forbade a substantial number of them from using it. Now she understands that she needs to hold a balanced perspective despite her own personal feelings. Personal Realms In the Great Wheel cosmological model used for 1st edition and 2nd edition, and as the assumed model for 5th edition Forgotten Realms, the second Mistra resides on the neutral good outer plane of Elysium. There her personal realm of Dwemerheart exists upon the second layer of the plane known as Aronia. Elysium is a place of ease. It is the neutral good outer plane. The plane is patrolled by powerful neutral good celestials known as Gardenals. The layers of the plane can be reached via the plane-spanning river Oceanus that makes its way throughout all four layers. Elysium has an inherent entrapping property that can cause people to never want to leave the plane due to its innate good and pleasantness. An entrapped individual after enough time will forget their past life as they embrace their new life here on Elysium, refusing to leave. The layer of Aronia on Elysium is composed primarily of mountainous terrain. Here the weather is far more unpredictable and less pleasant than it is on the other layers of Elysium. 
In Aronia, the plain-spanning river, the Oceanus is rapid and wild, with several waterfalls spilling off from it and down the mountainsides. Initially, the second Mistra resided on Mechanus, in the former Mistra's realm. The second Mistra found herself a flat, empty space atop a plateau in Aronia, where her neutral good leanings would be welcome. Here she created a magnificent realm city called Welmerhart, from powerful magics. Each day, the shapes and features of the city are changed as the magic that sustains them begins to fade away and are replaced by new spells. A body called the Council of Wizards are in charge of making sure the layout of the city remains the same. Buildings, paths, roads, etc. all remain in a fixed place, just that the Council rewards a different spellcaster each day with the opportunity to change the decoration and look of Dwemerhart. Just touching on former goddesses of magic, the first mister resided on the lawful neutral outer plane of Mechanus. As a chaotic neutral power, Mistral resided on the plane of Limbo. All three goddesses of magic have always called their specific deific realm Dwelmarhart. In the World Tree Cosmological model used for 3rd edition Forgotten Realms, Mistral resides and presides on a plane known as Dwelmarhart. This plane inherently enhances magic to the point that spells are enlarged, extended, and empowered. This does not incur any loss of additional spell slots for the spellcasters. Mistra can however cancel out any of these spells at any time cast on her plane. Petitioners who come to reside on this plane look much as they did in life. Most of Mistra's petitioners are sorcerers and wizards. The Player's Guide to Faerun for 3rd edition says that they only retain a fraction of their former power which seems like a big difference compared to the spellcasting abilities of Mistrum Petitioners described in the Great Wheel. Dwelmarhart itself is a magnificent city built atop a high plateau. The buildings here glitter and are built from magic itself. Mistra's realm encompasses the entire city and the surface of the plateau. The city looks like a massive magical academy. This is one of the foremost places across the plains to come seeking any sort of magical knowledge. Unfortunately, with Mistra so significantly reduced in power to the point of non-existence, and the destruction of Dwemerhart after Sirik's attack, there is no divine realm to speak of in the World Axis model used for 4th edition. Allies and Allegiances Mistra has a couple deities that fall under her authority. The closest one to her is Azuth, the second mistress personal advisor. It is said that Azuth was the affectionate consort of the first mistra. This may likely be because of the long history Azuth shared with the first mistra and their shared lawful neutral standing, compared to that of the second neutral good mistras. The second mistra's relationship with Azuth is said to be that of a professional and cordial nature. Savras falls under the supervision of Azuth, thus Savras indirectly holds Mistra as an even higher superior. If Valsharun now exists after the Second Sundering, it is unsaid whether he still holds a tenuous alliance with Azuth. For a time before the Spell Plague, Valsharun was under the protection of Mistra, though he still held a secretive alliance with Talos. Mistra is on friendly terms with Ogma, Denir, and Malil. 
Salune has always had a strong relationship with whomever is the current goddess of magic. From Mistral, who some call a daughter of Salune, right through to the second Mistra. Mistra has an alliance with Kalimvor still, though I wonder just how strong it is given the strain that has been put upon it since the two had to abandon any notion of continuing their romantic relationship. Outside of the Faerunian pantheon, Mistra has an alliance with other regional and racial deities who hold the portfolio of magic. Such deities include Corallon, Lorethian, head of the elven pantheon also known as the Seldarine, who holds magic alongside other portfolios. She also holds an alliance with Isis and Thoth, both from the Mohorandi pantheon. The drought goddess Illustrahi has a close relationship with Mistra as well. This is likely why Kulue, Velodorn, one of the Seven Sisters, was allowed to be chosen for both goddesses. The elven god of time, Labellus Enareth, held an alliance with Mistral. Mistral and him shared a portfolio over time. Despite the current Mistral no longer holding that portfolio, Labellus still maintains the alliance. Even outside of realm space, the first Mistral held an alliance with Weejas, the Greyhawk lawful neutral goddess of magic and death. Though that relationship deteriorated, it is no longer held between the second Mistra. The second Mistra does not hold a similar philosophy. Enemies Mistra's chief foe in the Faerunian pantheon is no doubt Siric. This is unsurprising given the past events that have transpired between Siric and the second Mistra, both when they were mortals and during their tenure as deities. Personally, I think the next in line for her chief foes is a toss-up. It's either Bane or Shar. Bane long coveted the first mistress portfolio over magic and plotted continuously to claim it for his own. This carried over to the second mistra, even after Bane's rebirth. Shar had concocted her own version of the weave known as the Shadow Weave with the intent to subsume the control of all magic herself and take over mistress role. Shar also aided Siric in murdering the second mistress to set off the spell plague. Talos is a lesser enemy who, under the alias of Malak, likes to seed wild, indestructible magic into the world. Though his machinations have not nearly been as strong as Siric's, Shar's, or Bane's, Talos would like nothing more to make wild magic one of his own portfolios. Deity and Avatar Stat Blocks the second edition stat block for the second Mistress Avatar can be found in the Faiths and Avatar supplement. The third edition stat block for the second Mistress herself and her avatar can be found in the Faiths and Pantheon supplement. Symbols Mistral and the first Mistress shared a blue-white star as their only known holy symbol. The second Mistress has the following three holy symbols associated with her. The first is a circle made up of seven blue-white stars with red mist coming out from the center of the circle. I do postulate that these might be representative of the Seven Sisters, but it's never stated outright if that's the case. The second is a circle of nine stars with red mist coming out from the center. In this variation, it might be that two additional stars have been added to represent Kelvin Aronson and Belminster, given their status as chosen as well. Though that could not be the case, Mistra has had more chosen other than just the Seven Sisters and Elminster in the Blackstaff. 
The third symbol is the very same blue-white star synonymous with Mistral in the first Mistra. It is still held in veneration by the Mistran faith and can be used in worship of the second Mistra, though it is used rarely presently. The expectation being that any time a new symbol of Mistra needs to be created, it is to conform with the symbol now used to venerate the second Mistra. Central Dogma From Faiths and Pantheons, a third edition supplement. Quote, Love magic for itself. Do not treat it just as a weapon to reshape the world to your will. True wisdom is knowing when not to use magic. Strive to use magic less as your powers develop, for often the threat or promise of its use outstrips its actual performance. Magic is art. The gift of the lady and those who wield it are privileged in the extreme. Conduct yourself humbly, not proudly, while being mindful of this. Use the art deftly and efficiently, not carelessly and recklessly. Seek always to learn and create new magic. End quote. Presence of the Faith Mistra is worshipped primarily by sorcerers, wizards, bards, and other types of arcane casters. What's more, Mistra is favored by all sorts of worshippers over the alignment spectrum. Though the second Mistra did cause a schism with evil aligned spellcasters initially, sending them looking for other patrons like Shar. Arcane spellcasters typically are not devout individuals though. Usually any sort of praise from Mistra is a word or two when a spell is cast, though a more thorough way to praise Mistra is through the sacrifice of an item, specifically one enchanted with a weak enchantment then burned. The second Mistra's clerics are specifically said to be of a chaotic good, lawful evil, lawful good, lawful neutral, or neutral good alignment. Mistral and the first Mistra had clerics from across all nine alignments given their inclination to remain neutral in most aspects in the expression and use of magic. Mistra has several chosen. I am saving the Seven Sisters for later, but I will mention here Elminster and Kelvin Blackstaff Aronson. I don't even know where to start with Elminster. Other than to say he and both Mistras have been involved in numerous past events and he always has been very close with both of them. He is said to be the most powerful of all Mistras chosen. There was a time he, I guess, turned himself into a woman for some period of time and served as a priestess of Mistra. Then he and the first Mistra even adventured together for some time. He served as a foster father for two of the seven sisters and helped to form the Harpers. The Blackstaff was a former Lord of Waterdeep and consort of Lariel Silverhand, one of the Seven Sisters. The Blackstaff was nicknamed as such for the magic staff he carried. That item has since passed on as well as the title. He presented himself as a dignified, though stern, individual. Kelvin is thought to be presently deceased, though it is rumored he may not in fact be dead. Both these men have been deeply involved in several different organizations, including the Harpers and the Lord's Alliance, but going on will only lead me on a further tangent. There was a time when Samaster, the founder of the Cult of the Dragon, was a chosen of Mistra as well. The remaining divinity in Samaster would be driven from him when he was laid low by an avatar of Lathander. Other chosen of Mistra include 
Lady Simrostar Oglomir, presently deceased. She was an elven wizard and one of the first to become a chosen of the second Mistra. Queen Alovan of Ardeep, a moon elf, was once a chosen of Mistra and Sianine Moonbow. She was driven insane by the silver fire presented to her by Mistra. Amarun White Wave is a distant ancestor of the long-lived Elminster. Mistra has handpicked her to be Elminster's apprentice and to succeed Elminster in the future. Mistra, by and large, would appear to have the most amount of chosen compared to any other deity in Faerun. Now that may be because of the focus placed upon her in the setting in general. You know more about Mistra because of how important she is to the setting. Other deities, for all we know, have a good number of chosen who just go unstated. But there is a theory that postulates that the first Mistra was told by Eo to decrease the amount of possible power she had. Rather than cast it off or have it removed by Eo, Mistra instead began to single out given individuals down on Faerun to become her chosen. As a result, so many chosen were made by the first Mistra. The chosen of Mistra have their own unique powers. These powers are referred to as the silver fire of Mistra borne by each of them. If you do want a detailed list and the mechanics of such powers, the second edition source book, The Seven Sisters, has you covered. For now I will touch on them here, but be aware these abilities are born out of second edition mechanics. The powers include, they are supernaturally resilient to the point of having a constitution of 25. They are mortal beings, though can be killed in the traditional sense. Age will not diminish them, however. They are resilient to magic with a large bonus to their saving throws. They can detect magic at will. They are aware of their names and or titles being spoken anywhere on Toril, followed by the next nine words that follow the spoken name or title. They can survive without sustenance and sleep for up to seven days. They have selective immunity to one spell from each spell level, while at the same time they have permanently prepared spell from each level that they can cast silently at will without needed components. These then recharge every 24 hours. Effectively, they can manifest needed magical abilities to survive in a variety of natural environments, like water breathing or protecting themselves from harmful gases. Finally, they can harness the power of the silver fire in a long beam that passes through all material and magical barriers doing a sizable amount of damage. Or they can form their silver fire into a cloud that repairs a dead magic area. Or they can use the silver fire to rid anyone nearby of magical or psionic enchantments. In the underwater realm of Seros, Mistress Faith is the longest standing for any surface deity. It has been present here since the Age of Nethril when Mistral was still presiding as goddess of magic and the Weave. In particular, the Mistral faith is popular among some merfolk and Shalaran, a lesser-known underwater humanoid. Weave Glow is a special ability granted to Mistral clergy. Weave Glow allows a person to cause all or a certain portion of their skin to glow a soft blue-white. This dull light allows the person to read and see out to a distance of 5 feet around them. Mistrins tend to keep this boon a secret from non-mistrins. The Mistrin faith has deep ties with the Harpers. Hierarchy and Structure of the Clergy The Mistrin faith is not large. This has a lot to do with the various evil forces who seek them out and attack them. 
It has got to the point in the past that most of them travel in disguise. During the age of the Netherese Empire, this was because archwizards and the like disparaged support of any deity. It is primarily made up of humans, though other races are welcomed into the Mistrin faith. The faith isn't made up entirely of clerics and traditional clergy either. Among their ranks are several bards, wizards, and sorcerers as well. There's likely a large degree of multiclassing among the faithful. Presently, all Mistrin clergy may be referred to as servants of the mystery, or mage robes. During the reign of Mistral and the first Mistra, they were called Mistrels, Mistwardens, or Bearers of Mystery. After the first Mistra's death and the subsequent reascension of Midnight to take her place, there was no qualms made among the various temples of clergy across Faerun. In fact, the transition was smooth and without issue. Those who were clergy and clerics of the like of the first Mistra still were respected and held their standing, even if they had such differing alignments. Though who did not take to the second Mistra's leanings had moved on to serve other deities. The structure of the Mistra faith separates itself into orders that have achieved specialization in one school of magic over the others. This sort of structure has been in place even since the time of the Netheral Empire. The relationship between these different orders and sects is strong and friendly. Higher-ranking clergy in the Mistran faith are known by the honorific Lady or Lord of Mystery. The different titles and ranks given to Mistrans vary from temple to temple throughout the continent with no one standard. Such has been the case since Mistral presided over the weave. Responsibilities and Duties of Worshippers Mistran places of worship are to serve as archives for arcane knowledge of all sorts. This is done with the intent to allow magic to persist even should cataclysmic and apocalyptic events occur across the continent. Mistrans travel abroad teaching others spellcasting while leaving spell tomes, scrolls, magical items, and the like around for others to discover. They may leave items in places as mundane as a simple village to a dangerous lair in the Underdark. This is done to combat those spellcasters who are fond of hoarding their magical knowledge to themselves. They are more concerned in tracing where such items of power are rather than the faith itself possessing them. But most current mysterians lean towards removing certain items of power from immensely evil, irresponsible, and or incapable individuals and creatures. Mysterians are to defy and help others in defying those who may restrict the use of magic across the continent. They are to also combat those who use magic as a means to rule as a tyrant. Mysterians are to keep watch of particular individuals who they know who might develop into powerful spellcasters. Mystery clergy are expected to craft magic items and or spells of their own creation. This is to further and continue the practice of magic. So long as the responsibilities of mystery clergy are fulfilled, Mystery is pretty relaxed on how they conduct themselves in their private lives. Each tends to have their own individualistic goals to pursue outside of their professional life. Orders in Priestly Bodies the Seven Sisters are seven actual sisters who are all spellcasters and chosen a Mistra. Each of the seven share silver hair, tremendous intelligence, and are mortal unless killed outright. Not all seven are alive in the traditional sense, but I will touch on their individual status one by one. The Seven Sisters were chosen all by the first Mistra. 
The death of the first mister and subsequent ascension of the second mister did nothing to affect any of their powers. Just know that this is a brief overview of the Seven Sisters. They don't operate as an organization or have the same goals. They are just seven women who share the same common and divine ancestry. There's far more to be said about each of them. Storm Silverhand, the Bard of Shadowdale, a leader in the Harpers. She resides up in the Daylands and was last said to be aiding a reeling Mordenkainen, yes, the very same archwizard from Greyhawk. Silune Silverhand, the Witch of Shadowdale, former wielder of the Scepter of Savras. Silune died when protecting the city of Shadowdale from dragons attacking the city in 1356 Dale Reckoning. Her spirit would continue on as a specific type of ghost known as a spectral harpist, but even she would sacrifice that form to end a Sharn Rite in 1375 Dale Reckoning. She now exists in the form of a weave ghost. I will describe what a weave ghost is later in the DM section of the podcast. Lateral Silverhand, Open Lord of Waterdeep, former leader of an adventuring band known as the Nine, and consort of Kelvin Blackstaff Aronson. Currently, she resides in Waterdeep. Elestrial Silverhand, former High Lady of Silvery Moon and High Lady of the League of the Silver Marches. Long thought to be deceased is now operating in the southern regions of Faerun in some capacity. Dove Falcon Hand, former ranger and knight of Mithranor who resided in Cormanthor with her husband Florin Falconhand. Renowned for her skill in arms as a ranger. Dove died in 1487 Dale Reckoning, battling and taking down an eye tyrant beholder along with her. She now exists as a weave ghost. The symbol the queen or witch queen of Aguilarond, though known by very few as Alasra Silverhand, said to be the wildest and most temperamental of the seven. On several occasions, she single-handedly beat back Thaeans attempting to attack her nation. She sacrificed herself in 1479 Dale Reckoning to heal and give Elminster her silver fire. It is unknown if she carries on in any other capacity, like some of her deceased sisters. Quilue Velodorn, the Dark Sister, High Priestess and Chosen of Illustrae as well. I will describe how she was related to the other six sisters in a bit. She was killed in 1379 Dale Reckoning trying to destroy a Baelor's spirit deeply connected with the fall of the drow. She exists as a weave ghost that was given free reign to enter and leave Illustrae's divine realm. The first Mistra took the necessary efforts to have the seven sisters birthed. Personally, I think the steps she took were a little strange and a little messed up, but I state them here nonetheless. Mistra had previous issues with former Chosen when she gifted them powers that came with that title. By purposely having children born to her preferences, they may prove less troublesome when granted their powers and titles as Chosen. Now, all the seven sisters are related Though I don't know if you can consider Kilue a full sister to the rest of the six biologically, dating and magic always tends to muddle things up. All seven share the same father, Dornal Silverhand. Mistra purposefully chose Dornal to be the father of these chosen. Dornal was a former harper and noble near Neverwinter. Mistra would possess the body of a half-elven woman named Alue Shundar, who Mistra knew Dornal fancied. Mistra did reveal to Elue that she would bind with her 
for the specific goal, and Alue would agree to go along with it. Dornau and Alue would eventually wed in 760 Dale Reckoning. Then each year between 761 to 767 Dale Reckoning, six daughters were born. Dornau would eventually learn that his wife had been bound with Mistra. While the last of the seven, Kulue, was still in the womb, Alue's health was clearly deteriorating and she looked deathly ill. However, Mistra would not let her die and instead sustained her to the point that she could almost be considered a lich. Don't ask me how an undead creature sustains a fetus, but we're dealing with deity level shenanigans here, so I'm not going to overthink it. Dornell learned from a priestess that some powerful intelligent force had taken over his wife. Deeply unwell himself, Dornell took action one night and swiftly cut off his wife's head with his blade. Mistra had to then reveal herself to Dornell. Dornell unsurprisingly did not take any of what Mistra told him well and would go off on his own for 20 years as an adventurer disowning both his t- family and his title. Now Mistra had to find some way to keep the unborn Kiluwe alive. Simply put, Mistra extended her senses and found another mother nearby, a drow worshipper of Illustrae. This drow woman was carrying a stillborn fetus, and Mr. asked Illustrae if she could allow the fetuses to be exchanged. Illustrae agreed to this, and thus Kilue was would be born as a drow, not a human like her other six sisters. The remaining six sisters were motherless, and thus Mr. felt it for some reason it was fitting to split them from one another and have them raised separated, though some of them remained together in pairs. In fact, Elminster was tasked with raising Laryl and Dove Silverhand. When his mortal death faced him one day in 797 Dale Reckoning, Dornell called out to Mistra to remember who he was. Mistra was moved by this gesture and granted Dornell a new existence. Dornell was given a new form and he now goes by the name of Dornell the Watcher. Dornell searches out new chosen of Mistra and deals with potential issues related to the Weave. It isn't expressly stated what form this is, but I imagine it looks like his regular human self, possibly with some defining traits tying himself to Mistra visibly. Magister is a mortal spell-wielding champion of magic who serves Mistra and is guided by Azuth. Azuth himself becoming the first Magister sometime before 136 Dale Reckoning, when the first record of the second Magister is given. Numerous beings have held the title of Magister, and not just humanoids either. In the past, typically the title of Magister was rewarded to a successful contestant who defeated the current Magister in a spellcasting duel. It did not necessarily need to be to the death. Plus, a successful win in such a duel must be upheld by Azuth's decision. Azuth is easily able to deny any winning challenger the title of Magister, should Azuth feel the duel was conducted unfairly. There are methods in place to choose a new Magister should the previous one die or abdicate. There's only ever one individual who holds the title of Magister at a time. The Magister also exists as yet another chosen of Mistra. Though the second edition supplement Secrets of the Magister details the history, office, and powers of the Magister, that supplement specifically calls out that the Magister cannot be a chosen a Mistra. Should Mistra desire to make a current Magister a chosen, that Magister must then give up the title. 
Mentioned in the Magic of Faerun, a third edition supplement, it said the second mister asked Azuth to change up the selection process of choosing the Magister. Now the chosen of Azuth are to nominate those who they think deserving of the title. Azuth himself then decides who should then become Magister. I assume the second Mistra asked for these changes given her difference in alignment compared to that of the first Mistra, and disallows any evil individuals from having the title. It is stated that Azuth may still award someone as Magister if they beat the current Magister in a legitimate mage duel. The Magister is not a defender of the Weave or Mistra. Rather, they are to promote the art throughout the Faerun. They accomplish this by succeeding in any task they are given by Mistra or Azuth, and by furthering their aptitude and skills with the Arcane. If you are genuinely interested in further knowledge about the Magister, there's a whole 2nd edition source book about the Office of the Magister called Secrets of the Magister. The Magister is to be assisted by both the Azuthan and Mistran faiths, so long as the Magister provides the necessary proof of identifying themselves. Members of Savras's faith disagree with independence the Magister is allowed to act with, but reluctantly will provide needed services if required. The Magister is gifted with some strong powers, and I will just touch on a few of them. After they get the title, they are temporarily immune to all magic for a period of 4-7 to seven months. They are well aware of any given magic effects occurring nearby them. They can never fall to their death as Featherfall is unconsciously cast to protect them and can levitate at and they can levitate at will. They can dimension door and water walk up to six times a day each. They have true sight. They have an innate resistance to magic spells. And finally, there are eight other innate abilities past that. The last recorded magister I was able to find was Talatha Veirovri. She died in 1385 to a reckoning. The Knights of the Mystic Fire are a Mistran order of paladins that attach themselves to other Mistrans when seeking out hordes of magic. The Knights also make up the bulk of armed guards that protect Mistran places of worship and study. The Order of the Shooting Star is an order of Mistran rangers who serve as scouts and spies for the faith. They often deal with magical mishaps and happenings that summon all sorts of malign creatures to the Prime Material. Together, the Knights of the Mystic Fire and Order of the Shooting Star have roughly 500 members. The Children of the Starry Quill are an organization of Mistran bards who gather information and sow rumors for the faith. They also spend a substantial amount of time preserving and researching arcane knowledge in libraries across the continent. Some of those from this organization are also Harpers. The Wellmer Keepers are Mistran specifically tasked with the protection and repair of the Weave. They also are deeply involved in their own spellcraft and magic item creation. Often they are cleric wizard or cleric sorcerer multi-classes. Apothecars are alchemists by trade in the Mistran faith. They train for and have a specialized knowledge in fabricating and identifying potions, salves, ointments, elixirs, and the like. Apothecars are proud of their station but can be rather eccentric due to their overexposure of alchemical compounds. Monitors are a watchful group of clergy tasked with tracking the use of all sorts of magic, while attempting to prevent any abuse of magic. They will confiscate and destroy malfunctioning and or cursed magic items. They may end up defending mages in court should they find such mages have been unjustly charged. Monitors tend to have a lawful neutral approach to their station, 
reflecting the previous attitudes about magic that the first mistra held. They are an analytical group with keen perception, but tend to come off as stern and abrupt. The sorority of the Silver Fire is a small group of 20 or so female human and half-elven spellcasters. They are devoted wholly to the destruction of the things the Master has wrought since he fell from being a chosen of Mistra. Chief among these things being the destruction of Dracoliches. Their battle isn't expressly with the Cult of the Dragon per se, but of course their goals and actions will conflict with those of the Cult of the Dragon. The Touched are a group of unaligned spellcaster whom Mistra has contacted directly to serve her in some capacity for a short period of time. Mistra will observe these mages from afar, and should she like their character, reach out to them with an offer, usually making a use of a manifestation to communicate. The Touched receive small boons from Mistra, but nothing is major what her chosen or the magister wields. These abilities tend to come and go and can be rather cryptic at times, though these abilities are always accompanied by a quick visible manifestation of Mistra's blue-tinged silver fire. The tasks attached are given very widely from conducting some research into some obtuse or rarely explored field to openly confronting the actions of others politically. The touched are often given the ability to cast lower level spells at will when they have succeeded in their objectives. The Percivant Arcane are a secretive body of Mistran spellcasters who work independently and never openly. They receive additional spells from Mistra, much like a reduced cleric, on top of their existing spells that they memorize and learn. They are given missions from Mistra through visions. The spells that they are granted are used for divinatory and identification purposes, while also being able to cast Wraith form once every 10 days. Percivant Arcane can also attract the attention of Mistra or Azuth directly to address something of importance to their mission. The Percivant does this by either calling out the god's name or simply tracing the deity's symbol with their finger on a surface while quietly speaking their name. Weave Spinners are a group of informal Mistran wizards who deal with dead magic and wild magic zones, recharge and place out magical items, and combat creatures who specifically target spellcasters. Weave spinners arrange and host mage fairs for spellcasters to come together. Weave spinners will work together and have a specific hand sign to address one another. At the end of this hand gesture, a glimmer of mistress symbol appears on the palm of the weave spinner's hand. Much like other mistrans, weave spinners also attempt to solve magical mysteries. They can cast locate object at will and can discern how long an enchantment has been in place. The Guardians of the Weave is a loose organization of spellcasters who combat evil spellcasters, the evil deities of magic, and those who look to damage the Weave. Specifically in the 3rd edition era of the Forgotten Realms, they were at odds with Shar and her followers as they fought incursions of the Shadow Weave throughout the continent. The group is bound by a love for magic and they do not want to see the Weave harmed to any extent. The symbol of the Guardians is a golden web held within a circle to represent the Weave. Members may display this as a brooch or amulet, or keep it hidden, but each member's symbol serves as a way of tracking one another. The Knights of the Weave are Mistran warriors who are devout protectors of the Weave. They receive their magic directly from the Weave, thus their magic's arcane in nature compared to divine magic typically wielded by paladins. Many come from either the Guardians of the Weave, the Mistran Faith, or the Azuthan Faith. Fighters and paladins often become members of this group, but some sorcerers and bards may join as well. 
The knights may study arcane knowledge, though theirs is an innate form of arcane spellcasting that comes from within, rather than honing it, say, like a wizard does. Theirs is a small group with not many members. While they are not an order of paladins per se, they are often treated as such. There is an existing friendly rivalry between them and actual Mistral and Azuthan paladins. Mistral did not have many orders or organizations in support of her faith. There were a handful of wizarding guilds that were tied to Mistral's faith. They would act as informants to the clergy, providing information about new arcane developments throughout Netheril. Like the Order of the Shooting Stars, Mistral's faith had an order of rangers known as Mistral's Eyes, fulfilling the same role. It might be possible that they were the progenitors of the Order of the Shooting Stars. Likewise, the Collegium Mysterium performed the same function as the Children of the Starry Quill. The Order of the Blue Moon is a small group of Selenites in Mistrans who combat Shar and her faith. They derive their name from the appearance of a blue full moon in the sky. This happens periodically when the weave fluctuates and causes a strong concentration of magic in a given region. Their chapter house known as the Hall of Reflected Moonlight is hid amongst the red rocks north of Waterdeep. Though they use the House of the Moon Temple in Waterdeep as their base of operation for their day-to-day -day operations, they are not well known outside of the Sword Coast region of Faerun. Their strength seems to grow in power while the moon is full, and it is then that they act, for when the moon wanes, their powers do become diminished. The Watchful Order of Magus and Protectors is a guild of Mistrin and Zuthan sorcerers and wizards in Waterdeep. Other than being a guild, their headquarters, the Tower of the Order, serves as a magical academy and members police magic use within Waterdeep. Members could also receive extra pay by volunteering to fight fires with magic or help to guard against any magic attacks on the city. Appearance and Dress The ceremonial dress of the Mistran clergy is a simple blue robe sometimes accented with white trim, that can be accompanied by a deep blue cloak for those found in colder climates. A piece of blue headwear is worn as well, though this differs from locale to locale. Some may wear a simple skull cap, others may wear ornate and ostentatious helmets or hats. While adventuring, Mr. and clergy wear armor suited for them and bear shields with Mistress symbol upon it. In service to the first Mistra, the Faith would wear veils or masks to reflect the mysterious nature of magic. This practice has since been abandoned. If traveling in disguise, Mistrans often portray themselves as merchants in caravans. Apothecars wear the usual blue robes of the Mistran Faith and always have a silver holy symbol around their necks. Apothecars tend to look like mad scientists, though, with unkempt or frizzled hair and are accompanied by the strong scent of chemicals. Their hands are also stained in places from the variety of chemicals they use in their profession. Monitors wear the usual blue robes and holy symbol of the Mistrant faith, though their robes are softer to allow for greater movement. Mistral's clergy wore similar apparel, though their robes were known to sparkle and glow, or display flashes of prismatic color. Rather than wear any headwear, all members typically grew their hair long, though they often wore some ornamentation in their hair where it met the nape of their neck. They bore the blue-white holy symbol either upon a ring or pendant. Their dress often featured scepters and mantles akin to what other wizards would wear. Rituals The clerics of Mistra are to pick one time of the day or night to pray and or meditate on their spells and stick by it. 
The holiest day on the calendar currently for Mistrans is the 15th of Marpanoth, when the second Mistra ascended to become a goddess. In Waterdeep, the 15th of Marpanoth is known as God's Day. A festival is held around the House of Wonder, the Mistran Temple in Waterdeep. They finish off the festivities with a magical fireworks show that goes well into the night. Although in 5th edition sources it says that this holiday in Waterdeep is a solemn affair where magic is to be limited only to be used in self-defense or dire need. This is done to serve as a reminder of the damage magic can do given what transpired in the city during the time of Troubles. The Starflight ceremony involves the casting of a fly spell by several mistrans all at once. This allows an individual to fly through the night sky as long as the stars are visible. The Starflight ceremony is often performed when two mistrans are wed or an initiate is welcomed into the faith. Though it can be performed when there is the need to survey the surroundings, provide privacy for discussions of importance, or give mistrans distance from the surface to try out spells. The mage fire ceremony involves a surging forth of blue magical energy reminiscent of fire through someone's body. The ritual's intent is to renew and cleanse the body. Should enough mistrans participate in the rite, an individual can be cured of a whole variety of diseases, conditions, and curses. An individual lays down amidst a circle of fellow mistrans. Those encircling then pull their power into the individual as blue mage fire illuminates their body. The individual begins to slowly rise above as they crackle and hum with the energy of the mage fire. Should the ritual be performed correctly, it is ended with a starflight ceremony. Those subject to mage fire describe it as one of the most blissful things that they have ever experienced. Both the starflight and mage fire are ancient rites that have existed since Mistral's time. The hymn to the lady is usually a funeral rite for Mistrans, though it may be sung at mage moots. A plain dirge is sung while visions manifest of long-dead Mistran mages and clerics. Mistra may insert her own visions at this time as a form of guidance for the living Mistrans. An alternative version of the mage fire ceremony may be performed after the hymn to raise up the dead towards a floating pyre. The time of weaving was the most important holiday celebrated in the former city of Mithranor on the 3rd of Alessius. This holiday is celebrated by the wizards in the city, both by honoring Mistra and Corallon Lorethian. It is also the anniversary of when the mythal was put in place to defend Mithranor. General Locations of Places of Worship It is common for Azuthan clergy to visit, teach, and advise in Mistran temples. The same can be said for Mistran clergy who likewise travel then to Azuthan places of worship. Mistran places of worship are enhanced by the weave so that Mistran clerics may manipulate their spells with a metamagic effect without expending some other resource. That little bit of information is from a 3rd edition source book, so I'm not entirely sure how metamagic in that edition compares to my understanding of it in 5th edition. Mistran places of worship double as storehouses of arcane knowledge with their own hidden libraries, warded laboratories, safe holds, and stashes. Most magic items stashed in such places are of a more esoteric rather than practical nature. Mistran places of worship vary widely in size and style. Some shrines may be found in natural caves or grottos. Many Mistran sites have an open courtyard to hold services during the day and a place to view the night sky. Specific Places of Worship 
The House of Wonder in Waterdeep can be found in the seaward of the city. This temple's courtyard has a large mosaic of the second mistress symbol, ornate towers, and varieties of magical displays. Directly in the center of the grounds is the tower which houses the temple proper. It has a strong relationship with a local Sable Knight temple called the House of the Moon. It served as an arcane college during the Spell Plague era, but has returned to its original purpose as a house of worship and arcane practice. Related specifically to Mistral are the powerful and ancient Time Gates. Whether these gates were created for their specific purpose or were accidentally created is unsaid. Either way, Mistral and both Mistras have seemingly allowed them to persist and function despite their forgotten status. Passing through one of these gates creates an effect as if the Time Conduit spell was cast, allowing people to try and travel to a given time in the past. These gates are tremendously old, even preceding the first Dwarven Realms. The first Time Gate is said to be hidden in a cave guarded by an ancient white dragon somewhere amongst the spine of the world. The second is recorded as sitting atop Miskin's Peak in the Novalaran mountain range. However, the peak of this mountain was sheared off long ago by the Great Glacier. Now the second gate is buried beneath a slow-moving Great Glacier. The third resides within Mount Andrus near the city of Cedarspoke in the Guthmir Forest. The fourth is protected by the elves of Sonoria out on the Moonshade Isles. The elves had recorded nothing of this gate, and they ensure no one abuses it. Whether they have used it before is unknown. This gate is nothing but a simple arch that leads into a cave behind waterfalls along Mirror Lake. An unnamed shrine to Mistra can be found in Shadowdale, and it is described as such. Sitting in behind the Temple of Timora is a low-step pyramid consisting of only three wide steps. The top stair is inscribed with Mistra's symbol in silver into dark stone. No clergy currently presides over it, and it is left to the local worshippers to take care of it. Initially, there was a desire to build the shrine on the ruin of Silune Silverhair's hut. You will recall Silune is one of the seven sisters who died defending Shadowdale. That was disallowed by local authorities, so it was built where it stands today. The shrine stands at a place where one can see the hut's ruins as well as the top of Elminster's tower. A local rumor in legend proposes the idea that anyone standing atop the shrine can be heard by Elminster in his tower though this has never been confirmed. The House of Mysteries is a Mistran temple in Elventree. It is housed in a ruined, overgrown stone hall. This temple is said to be the strongest place of Mistran power in all of Faerun. Within, sound is deadened as whispered voices can be heard in the dark, unlit chambers, save from the occasional light provided by a colored mote of light that might drive by. No spell here can illuminate these dark chambers. Out of the dark can be heard the voice of the goddess, the voice of a high-ranking Mistrian clergy member who presides over the House of the Mysteries. The voice can provide answers to questions with cryptic advice, identify magic items, and potentially cast spells from an unknown source upon Mistrians looking for aid. Now in other sources, this place is known as the Cairn of Mysteries. These sources then describe that the temple is presided over by a mysterious wizard known as the Sentinel who wears a mask at all times. No clergy reside here permanently, but those who pass through often stay for a small amount of time to ensure the proper duties are attended to that the Sentinel cannot do as a wizard. 
Now despite this conflicting information, I'm sure you can choose to combine both descriptions or go with one over the other. The largest Mithran temple is an unnamed temple located in Mount Talath in the majocracy of Halrua. This temple was housed in a large cavern complex. Around the outside of the temple are stone spires that jut up alongside the mountain slope. The temple has many magic item storerooms and libraries of all sorts. However, only Hal ruins known to be supportive of the Mistran faith are given free admittance to such resources. Non-Hal ruins may be allowed access, though there may be some substantial fee attached. Even then, there is rigorous magical screening to prove you are there for appropriate reasons and an escort is attached to you. There is free public admittance to the temple proper, however. Now, the latest information I have access to speaks to how this temple proper exploded and blew fire at the advent of the spell plague. A shimmering mirage of sorts of a temple was all that remained behind. But since Halrua has returned from Abir following the spell plague, I have to wonder what state the temple exists in. Likely, it is back where it once stood. The majocracy of Halrua in general are strong adherents of both arcane magic and the worship of Mistra and Azuth. Many Mistran clergy members double as judges for the nation. There is a Mistran temple for each of the eight schools of magic, conjuration, necromancy, etc. in the Nath mountain range. There is at least a shrine to Mistra in every Halruan village and every town and city houses a temple. Now I believe all this may still be true in present day Faerun since Halrua protected itself from harm during a spell plague. The wizards here teleported the nation to Abir, harnessing the blue fire, only to then return during the second sundering. When the wizards teleported Halrua, they swapped the land with that found in the Shadow Fell. The Dancing Place is a pilgrimage site, not just for Mistrins, but for a host of deities who appeared when the Harpers were founded for a second time in this glade in the High Dell. Alongside other clergy, Mistrins maintain the glade while providing services to all good-aligned adventurers. Minsorin was a series of four theocratic cities established around the Lake of Wang in 300 Dale Reckoning. Each town was devoted to one specific deity, Salune, Shar, Lathander, and Mistra. By 600 Dale Reckoning, these four cities had been abandoned after a freak blizzard passed through, and the inhabitants were slain by a white dragon. During Netherell's height, only one temple to Mistra was allowed to exist across all the floating cities. The Temple of All Mysteries was built upon the floating city of Ilulam. As the only temple to Mistral, it, con it constantly increased in membership to the point that it was relocated and rebuilt to be greater in size seven times. It was built to resemble a many-pointed star, likely reminiscent of Mistral's holy symbol. Seven points of the star reached out across ground level, while eight points of the star were jutting out into the air at different angles. The temple itself was placed in the exact center of the star. Hidden beneath the Thayan city of Byzantor is a Mistran temple. This is a refuge for harpers, runaway slaves, enemies of the Red Wizards, and the like. Several underground tunnels are connected to this temple, and are used as secret passageways. An image of Mistra is housed here, and this image is thought to be actually protecting the temple from the Red Wizards, given it has yet to be found. The Halls of Mystery is the Mistran Temple in Raven's Bluff. This temple looks like a castle from the outside. 
It is guarded by helmed horrors and bolts of arcane energy pass along the outside walls occasionally. Unique to this temple is a pit filled with glowing blue-white slime which the clergy immerse people in when in need of healing and nullifying other negative magical effects. The Temple of Balance is the Mistran Temple in Silvery Moon. It is a minor temple that is reminiscent of a wizard's tower. Here arcane and divine spellcasters work their magics together, forming all sorts of strange magical effects. Mouse Alley, as its name suggests, is not a place of worship, though it is an important place in the Mistran faith in the city of Waterdeep. Long ago, Mistra had shapeshifted herself into a mouse for whatever reason, and was scurrying about Waterdeep. She came across the archwizard Ergaron, and the wizard followed her into this alley only to discover it was the goddess of magic herself. Now Mouse Alley serves as a place of refuge for any Mistran wizard who is looking to hide. Upon entering into Mouse Alley, they turn invisible, have spell slots restored, and learn that they can dimension door away should they choose to, thanks to whatever magic suffuses the alleyway. Not strictly defined as a temple, the Witch's Hall in the Rashimi city of Imalar is still considered a holy site sacred to Mistra, or the Hidden One as she's known in Rashomon. It is a whitewashed longhouse whose crossbeams are carved to look like dragons, hounds, and unicorns. Only the Hathrens, also known as the Witches of Rashomon, are permitted entrance in here. Name temples to Mistra without further detail. The Weave Mistress's hearth likely in the ruins of Mithranor. Southorm's Tower in Halara. The House of Mistra in Harrowdale. The Tower of Mysteries in Serloon. And Sevashel Tor in the undersea city of Mithnantar. Unnamed shrines to Mistra can be found in Darloon and Pearl Camper. Character Options For 2nd edition, the Apothecar and Monitor Priest variants can be found in Warriors and Priests of the Realms, as well as an option for Mister and Crusaders. Guidelines to make a Magister NPC and PC can be found in Secrets of the Magister. A breakdown for the Mister and Specialty Priest, the Dwemler Keeper, can be found in Fates and Avatars. For 3rd edition, the Dwemler Keeper Prestige class can be found in Fates and Pantheons. The Sword of the Arcane Order feat, Mystic Fire Knight Substitution Levels and Shooting Star Substitution Levels can be found in Champions of Valor. The Initiate of Mistra Feet and Blessed of the Seven Sisters Feet can be found in The Player's Guide to Faerun. Guidelines to Making Magister NPC and PC can be found in The Magic of Faerun Supplement. As I do in every episode, the following is now a breakdown of the features I think someone deeply involved in Mistra's faith as an accolator otherwise would have for their background in 5th edition. For their two skill proficiencies, Arcana and Investigation, though you could swap Investigation easily enough for Religion. Language or Tool Proficiencies, two languages of your choice. For your equipment, there's the Acolytes in the Player's Handbook, the Cloistered Scholars from Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide, and the Sages from the Player's Handbook. Though with the starting gold you get with those last two backgrounds, you could easily remove some of that gold and take a holy symbol to start. For the ribbon feature attached to the background, there's the Shelter of the Faithful from the Acolyte, the Library Access of the Cloistered Scholar, and the Sages Researcher. 
Moving on to a list of subclasses that I think would be thematically appropriate for a NPC or PC to take if they are a worshipper in Mistra in 5th edition. For the Bard, there's the College of Lore from the Player's Handbook. For the Cleric, there's the Knowledge Domain from the Player's Handbook and the Arcana Domain from Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide. For the Fighter, there's the Eldritch Knight from the Player's Handbook. For the Paladin, there's the Oath of Devotion from the Player's Handbook and Oath of the Watchers from Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. For the Ranger, there's the Horizon Walker from Xanathar's Guide to Everything. For the Rogue, there's the Arcane Trickster from the Player's Handbook. For the Sorcerer, there's the Divine Soul Sorcerer from Xanathar's Guide to Everything. For the Warlock, there's the Celestial Patron from Xanathar's Guide to Everything. Finally, for the Wizards, given Mistra's portfolio, all the Player's Handbook Wizard subclasses would be included here, the War Wizard from Xanathar's Guide to Everything, and the Scribe's Wizard from Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Dungeon Master Options To start, we're just going to touch on some monsters and NPCs that a DM can make use of in their games. From the Monster Manual of Sadeva, all the Metallic Dragons, Pseudo-Dragons, Pegasi, Unicorns, Cat, Mastiff, and Mule. From Mordekainen's Tome of Foes, there's the Marut. From Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus, there is the Hollyfawn. I would like to talk about some non-5th edition monsters that we know the faith of Mistra and Mistra makes use of. The Anhariar are celestial warriors who fell in battle as humanoids. Of course, these celestial warriors might be known to you better through Norse myth. Indeed, they have a large presence in, on the outer plane of Ysgard. They can be found in the 3rd edition supplement Deities and Demigods, 2nd edition's Monstrous Compendium, Outer Plains Appendix, and Planescape Monstrous Compendium Appendix, and 1st edition's Manual of the Plains. Agathanon are celestial warriors whose true appearances are reminiscent of elves with radiant skin and eyes. They show their true appearance in the Upper Plains, though elsewhere they take on other forms, often this form is that of a human, but they have the ability to turn themselves into another creature and even inanimate objects. In an object form, Agathanons confer certain benefits to those who hold it. They are often sent to the Prime Material to help goodly creatures fight off evil forces. The first edition stat block can be found in Monster Manual 2. The second edition stat blocks for them can be found in Monstrous Compendium Planescape and Monstrous Compendium Outer Plains Appendix. Light Asimon are celestial amorphous creatures seemingly made of multi-hued radiant light. When looking upon a light Asimon, a good aligned person is said to be able to see a reflection of their finest moments in their life. They can serve as familiars for high-leveled, good aligned spellcasters. There's a unique ritual that may be attempted to call upon the aid of a light Lassimon. They are thought to be the embodiment of good in physical form. The second edition stat block for them can be found in Monstrous Compendium Planescape and Monstrous Compendium Outer Plains Appendix. Incarnates are beings formed from the pure energy of a given concept like courage, hope, or faith. Those three are specifically said to be creatures tied to the Mistran faith but there are several other types of incarnates, including evil ones. They can be found throughout all the outer planes, but of course the good aligned ones are prevalent in the upper planes. Courage, hope, and faith incarnates are of a lesser type of incarnate. 
Incarnates bond with creatures who are strong in the trait they embody and can confer benefits to the host, while the incarnate feeds off the emotion put out by the individual. Technically, a bonded incarnate can control the host against their will. However, that is a tactic utilized almost entirely by evil incarnates. The second edition stat block can be found in Monstrous Compendium and Planescape. Radiant methods are a variety of method native to the quasi-plane of radiance. This quasi-plane exists in the transitional space between the elemental plane of fire and the positive energy plane. These silvery methods look to be in a perpetual state of blissfulness. They are easily distracted creatures. The second edition stat block can be found in Montrous Compendium Planescape. Gardenals are the animalistic celestials that inhabit the neutral good plane of Elysium. They watch over the various layers of the plane and are peaceful and pleasant. But away from Elysium, they take on a different disposition and combat evil in all its forms. They don't have a distinct hierarchy like other outer planar creature groups, such as devils, demons, and angels. But they observe the leadership of the lion-like Leonals. Second edition stat blocks for various Gardenals can be found in Montrous Compendium Planescape 2. Their third edition stat blocks can be found in 3.5's Monster Manual. And other Gardenal stat blocks can be found in the Book of Exalted Deeds. Gem Dragons are the neutral line group of the major true dragons. They are renowned for their various psionic abilities. All five varieties in their various stat blocks can be found in 3rd edition's Monster Manual 2. Mercury dragons, as their name suggests, are mercurial creatures and are quite whimsical, as they talk extremely fast to the point of being misunderstood easily. As adults, they reflect light so well over their silvery scales to the point that they might blind others. They can even manipulate their bodies to the point of giving off a blinding ray of reflected light offensively. Their breath weapon is that of brilliant yellow light. The second edition stat block for them can be found in Monstrous Manual. Their third edition stat block can be found in Dragons of Faerun. Their fourth edition stat block can be found in Draconomicon 2, Metallic Dragons, but they are described somewhat differently in 4th edition. Steel dragons are an unusual type of true dragon preferring the company of humanoids and living in urban settings. They disguise themselves as humanoids themselves as they make their way through urban life and given identities. They always show at least one steel-like trait in this humanoid form, like gray eyes, or wear some type of steel ornamentation. Their breath weapon is a cube of toxic gas. They lair in their humanoid abodes where they keep their horde well guarded. They prefer staying in their humanoid form compared to that of their true form. The second edition stat block can be found in Monstrous Manual. The third edition stat block can be found in Dragons of Faerun. The fourth edition stat block can be found in Draconomicon 2, Metallic Dragons. Selkies are sea-like creatures with the innate ability to adopt a humanoid form for a few days. At a distance, it is easy to mistake a selkie for a, no for a normal seal. Though upon closer inspection, they have webbed hands and feet rather than flippers. Selkies shape change into humanoid form to curiously explore the surface world. They adopt attractive humanoid forms. They tend to layer together in large underwater caverns and grottos. The first edition stat block can be found in Monster Manual 2. The second edition stat block can be found in Monstrous Manual. The third edition stat block can be found in Fiend Folio. 
Weave ghosts are not described in any supplements or adventures. Rather, they are described in two novels, Death Masks and Spellstorm, at least according to the Weave Ghost page on the Forgotten Realms wiki. I don't have access to either book, so I cannot confirm this, but I do trust the citations on the Forgotten Realms wiki. As mentioned before, three of the deceased seven sisters have since gone on to become Weave Ghosts. As the name suggests, this is an ethereal creature that has become one with the Weave. The individual still retains their individuality and thoughts. They could serve as messengers to the faithful or merging out of mystery and magic items and altars alike. The Weave Ghosts can shape themselves to look like a variety of creatures and other items. To round out this section on monsters and creatures, the following are just a list of possible humanoid NPC stat blocks to represent various Mysterian worshippers and clergy. Keep in mind with spellcasters, you can always swap out their listed spells for other spells more fitting to the themes and story you're trying to get at. From the monster manual, there's the Acolyte, Priest, Mage, and Archmage. From Voldo's Guide to Monsters, there's the Abjurer, Prentice Wizard, Bard, Conjurer, Diviner, Enchanter, Evoker, Illusionist, Necromancer, and Transbuter. From the Lost Minds of Fandelver adventure and the starter set, there's the Evil Mage. And finally, from the Candlekeep Mysteries adventure book, there is the Master Sage, Sage, and Wood Elf Wizard. Following this, we'll just touch on some specific Mistran magic items. The Scepter of Mistra is an unorthodox religious tome found in 2nd edition supplement Prayers from the Faithful. This scepter is made from glassteel with ever-bright electromens. Now, to touch on a couple of these terms briefly, glassteel, as the name suggests, is a translucent glass that is hard as steel. I do not know if it is unique to the realms in Dungeons & Dragons canon. Everbright is a distinct enchantment that can be applied to metallic pieces. As its name suggests, these enchanted metal pieces will always glow and never tarnish, with a couple other benefits to go along with the enchantment. Within the Scepter of Mistra are ten small silver ovoids that float casually along the length of the rod. Nine of the ovoids are representative of the nine levels of spellcasting spellcasters are familiar with. The tenth is representative of true dwellmers or epic tenth level spells. When someone holds onto the ends of the scepter, they can make out numbers on nine of the ten ovoids, and on the tenth ovoid is the symbol of a star. It is mentioned, though, that should you be lacking in any material that describes 10th level magic and above, to just then allow the scepter to provide for an unusual, unpredictable, strange new magic never before seen. By pressing your finger to cover up one of the ovoids, you reveal a random assortment of spells associated with the spell indicated on the covered ovoid. One spell's name is listed on the other silver ovoids, and the spells correspond to the level of the ovoid covered. If someone releases their finger covering the ovoid and covers it once again, a new random list of spells appears. From there, the wheeler can safely remove the covering finger and select one of the listed spells by pressing their finger to the corresponding ovoid. Hopefully that wasn't all too confusing. One end of the scepter will admit an illusion, writing out the spell description in the air, written in the words that look to be made of fire. The illusion can be dispelled easily by touching the corresponding ovoid again. The Scepter of Mistra also has a triggered ability by speaking Mistra's name when wielding it. 
Doing so will grant the holder an even greater version of the detect magic spell out to a distance of 90 feet. Along with perceiving magic auras, the person will also be able to determine the strength of the magic as well as how long its effect has been present. The Scepter of Mystra can be perceived by the Magister, Azuth, and all chosen of Mystra and anyone who currently has possession of it. The Scepter was created with the intent to allow it to pass through the hands of mortals, allowing them to perform various deeds. Though it was never made with the intent of allowing it to fall into the hands of any substantial archmage or nation whose society is heavily influenced by arcane magic, like Halrua or Thay. I won't go into the other abilities of the scepter too much, but just to touch on them here. If dropped a substantial distance, it will teleport randomly to somewhere in Faerun. It will rise and glow in the presence of unleashed offensive magic if not held. It can allow for higher level spellcasting than the user is capable of, though just once while it recharges. And if a proper prayer is intoned to Mistra, the scepter can recharge other magic items. The scepter was first led out into the world in 994 Dale Reckoning. Much like other magic tomes described in Prayers of the Faithful, it has passed through several hands. Many mages, mind flayers, adventurers, and finally in the talons of Silver Dragon in 1336 Dale Reckoning nearby Sucomber. Though there are rumors that the Silver Dragon may have been reduced to bones. Regardless, the whereabouts of the scepter are unknown presently. The following are just some thematically appropriate magic items from official 5th edition sources I feel the Faith of Mistra may have access to. From the Dungeon Master's Guide, there's the Wand of the War Mage, Amulet of the Plains, Carpet of Flying, Circle of Blasting, Cloak of Protection, Crystal Ball, Cube of Force, Cubic Gate, Deck of Illusions, Duplicitous Manuscript, Eyes of Charming, Hat of Disguise, Headband of Intellect, Helm of Brilliance, Helm of Comprehending Languages, Helm of Telepathy, Helm of Teleportation, All the Various Sorts of Ayun Stones, Mantle of Spell Resistance, Medallion of Thoughts, Pearl of Power, Potion of Flying, Potion of Gaseous Form, Potion of Mind Reading, Ring of Mind Shielding, Ring of Protection, Ring of Shooting Stars, Ring of Spell Storing, Ring of Spell Turning, Ring of Telekinesis, Robe of Eyes, Robe of Stars, Robe of Archmagi, Rod of Absorption, Staff of Charming, Staff of Fire, Staff of Frost, Staff of the Magi, Staff of Thunder and Lightning, Wand of Binding, Wand of Fireballs, Wand of Lightning Bolts, Wand of Magic Detection, Wand of Magic Missiles, Wand of Polymorph, Wand of Web, Wand of Wanderer. From Out of the Abyss, the Adventure Module, there's the various spell gems. From the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica, you could easily reflavor the Illusionist Bracers. From Waterdeep Dragon Heist, there's the actual Black Staff. From Dungeon of the Mad Mage, there's the Blast Scepter. From Tastra's Cauldron of Everything, the Arcane Grimoire, the Alchemical Compendium, Astromancy Archive, Atlas of Endless Horizons, Barrier Tattoo, Crystalline Chronicle, Fulminating Treaties, Librum of Soils and Flesh, Liar of Building, Masquerade Tattoo, Plain Collars Codex, Protective Verses, and Spell Rot Tattoo. 
From Xanthar's Guide to Everything, there's the Enduring Spellbook, Instrument of Illusions, and Instrument of Scribing. And finally, from Explorer's Guide to Wildmount, there's the Grimoire Infinitus, Hat of Wizardry, Potion of Maximum Power, Ruby of the War Mage, and the Spell Bottle. Alright, thank you for listening to Religion in the Realms. If you're interested in keeping up the release of future episodes, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and follow the podcast Twitter account at Realms Religion. These episodes are also uploaded to YouTube as well. The podcast YouTube page can be found under the title Religion in the Realms. Audio versions of the podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play Podcasts. If you wish to get in touch with me with any questions or just want to chat, my personal Twitter handle is at Shizembrace, or you can send an email to realmsreligion at gmail.com, all in lowercase. In the next episode, we will be covering Savras, the lawful neutral god of divination and one of Mistress Lesser's and direct allies. Until next time, may Timora look kindly upon your dice rolls, Helm protect you, and Lathander light your path. Music for this episode, Lands of Magic, by Ian Grimm, 